Welcome to another Open Dialogue, where we spotlight experienced professionals and their businesses as we dive into their stories of origin, adversity, triumph, and growth. My name is Bobby, and this is Elevator Pitch. Doors opening. Stepping into the elevator today is Dr. Brandon Holland. Born and raised on the south side of Baltimore, Maryland, a graduate of Frostburg State University with a Bachelor of Science. He followed that up and became a graduate assistant while completing a Master of Science in Human Performance. Soon after that, he completed his Doctor of Athletic Training degree at A.T. Still University and is currently studying leadership in health and human performance for his Ph.D. from Concordia University of Chicago, where he is also an adjunct professor. Dr. Holland has been head athletic trainer for secondary schools in Prince William County, Virginia for 15 years and still finds time to provide advisement and mentorship at George Mason and John Hopkins University. With such an entrepreneurial mindset, this man's resume goes on and on. But the title that he takes most pride in is husband and father. Doors closing. Going up. Man, that's tight. That makes me feel important. <laughs> bro, you are important, man. What you mean, bro? You are Dr. Brandon Holland. That dude. That I appreciate dude. that, man. That That is really awesome. Uh, it's nothing, man. Small thing to a giant, bro. So you already know, man. It's uh, an honor to be sharing this time and space with you, bro. Like, when I tell you, man, like, it, it's seeing the the whole journey that you've been on to like get where you are now like is is not many people that would have the the stick-to-itiveness to to accomplish what you've accomplished bro i appreciate that man the shout out and uh it's been rough but it's been worth it you know definitely definitely so i mean you we time is time is time so I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna hold it, man. I could go on for days just kicking the bobo with you, but um, we'll get, we'll get right into everything. So let's just travel back in time and just tell me the origin story of Dr. Brandon Holland and your path of education and advocacy. Well, I want to say is, um, I don't know if there's anything special about my story. And I say that only because it started out like everybody else's, you know, um, like you said in the intro, born and raised in the south side of Baltimore City. It's not Disney World. It's a rough place. A lot of people where I'm from don't make it too far to their neighborhoods. A lot of my peers when I was growing up never been outside, outside the city limits of Baltimore. And uh, my mom moved us to Glen Burnie when I, when I made it to sixth grade and uh Anne Arundel County was just like a hop and a skip away from South Baltimore. Uh, close enough. I still got a lot of family there, so we would be back and forth. So we weren't really escaping the city. We just had a, we needed a better place to live, though. And um, to be quite honest, at, at high school, um, I wasn't really feeling school at all. <laughs> I really was like a guy who I wasn't stupid, but I, I didn't like work like school wasn't, you know, my thing. I didn't like it. Definitely. And uh, I uh, I did my schoolwork so I could stay eligible to play sports. And that was that. And um actually stumbled into a job offer my senior year um, where a person was going to pay me 25 bucks an hour 
to teach me how to be an electrician mm. and then and then hire me. And so I was like, okay, dope. 25 bucks an hour, did some quick math, $200 a day, five days a week, $1,000 a week. Can't be mad at college. the trade. <laughs> right. And this is like $1,000 a week to a 17-year-old in 1998 was, you know. That's not that's like that's nothing to sneeze at now, bro. <laughs> I know. So I told my mom I'm not going to college. And she had other plans. <laughs> all right, Don't so, they all? Yeah, if you got a mom like mine, uh, when she say jump, you're going to jump. And then you ask how high later. <laughs> but uh, for her, it was like, you're going to college. I want to hear that. So uh, we had some people in my family who went to college. Nobody really stayed and finished. Mm. So um, I went to Frostburg State and, you know, couldn't pass the physical to play football. So I really didn't know what I was going to do while I was up there. Uh, started out as, an, uh, as a health and phys ed major mm. and didn't didn't really like it. But I figured I could always tell a kid to take a lap and collect a paycheck. <laughs> so, but um, I got into exercise and sports science and then bumped into a very dear friend, of a lady that I met back then, is still very close to me today, Dr. Donita Valentine, introduced me to athletic training. Her and another friend, Erica Thomas, we call her Peanut. Mm. Um, they got me into athletic training. It was right up my alley. I loved it. I fell in love with it. Had a great mentor. Few great mentors while I was up there, but mostly uh, Mr. Z, who was the head athletic trainer, and he was also directing the program at the time. Uh, got a a bachelor of science in athletic training from Frostburg State. Was able to stay, get a master's degree while I did my um, while I did a graduate assistantship, human performance, and um, went out, got to work, and I got to a point in my career where I felt like I wasn't really getting better. I was getting stale. And stumbled across, I didn't really stumble, I was, I was looking for something. And I actually found the uh, Doctor of Athletic Training degree online from A.T. Still University. Yeah. And uh, I did that. I was introduced to some great people in that program, some great professors, uh, great colleagues and peers. And uh, these people were uh, basically driving the direction of the profession of athletic training. And uh, we had an event in Arizona that I was able to attend called the uh, Winter Institute. It was actually a class. and. Okay. There, I was able to interact on in a business setting with these people whose names on the research that I'm using to complete my projects, and these people are consultants for NFL teams and NBA and NCAA and incredible people, and I'm really holding my own with these people, you know, in a conversation and and you know, hipping into some th- things that they weren't aware about. So it's like you know, I really belong here. I really felt like I had a place. That's an aha moment. Yeah, it was. It was like, you're worthy. You know, I spent so much time not reaching for things because I didn't think I was worth it. Mm. You know, and that was a, that was a, I'll get into that later. But um, I really just, um, you know, opened my eyes to some things. I met some incredible black athletic trainers while I was there, but there weren't that many of us. Okay. And um, that's kind of a trend across the profession. So, now my goal is to try to figure out how to get more of us in the door. Definitely. So so Definitely. that's where I'm at now with my advocacy. I'm trying to figure out how to how to improve the, the diversity and equity and inclusion in the field of athletic training and in the education for people who are pursuing a degree in athletic training. Definitely. For sure. For sure. I mean, how, like, you just tie everything in. How, how important is um, the athletic trainer or the human performance professional to – the athlete, no matter what level, whether it's amateur, um, pop warner, uh, professional, 
Well, um, I think in a nutshell is, is, is what you know, right? I think it was Maya Angelou who said, you do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. Fact. Right? So uh, a lot of education and athletic training and sports and human performance, is, it, it updates, it changes. As we get to understand more in science, more about how your body responds to injuries or to exercise stresses, we, we can change the way we do things. Uh, a lot of the issues that many of us have, especially people my age, is because we really didn't have people to help us make healthy decisions with our bodies. Mm. So there's a lot that you can do to prevent injuries. There's a lot you can do to lessen the severity of injuries. There's a lot you can do to um, help people recover from injuries more fully and more quickly. Definitely. And there's also a lot you can do to help people be better athletes. So um, if your goal is to produce the best athlete and, and to help them have the you know, longevity as an athlete, all of that starts as a young kid. It starts at whatever level you begin your sport. Hmm. And um, it becomes, you know, now we're talking about once you get into the elite levels, we're talking about, you know, fractions of a percentage of a measure or whatever it is you're measuring that makes the difference between winning and losing. Right? Your, your fastest guy in a 100-meter dash, for example, is running uh, is running a, like a, a 9.8 something 9.7 something mm -hmm. and the slowest guy in the same race is running a 9.9 something that's faster than you can <laughs> blink twice you know what i'm saying okay. and then you got seven other guys in between number one and number eight so or six other guys between number one and number eight so that that those small things end up making a huge difference in your outcome Right. Mm, yeah. And if you're talking about certain sports, you're talking about your ability to protect yourself or your ability to protect your teammate. Yeah. So um, having a having people who are knowledgeable on how to not just execute the sport, the X's and O's, but how your body physically works, how your body recovers from training, what type of trainings you, sh you should be using to improve a specific type of performance. Because not everybody's built the same. Not everybody's job is the same. Definitely. So to have people, you know, walk you through those paces is really is is paramount. Is is of the utmost importance. That makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. It's the I mean, when you're talking about the the times and running, I mean, you're looking at draft picks. Right. That's the difference between you getting a signing bonus going in the top what ten drafts, and yeah, <laughs> you might have a. A couple day contract. <laughs> yeah, really. That's the difference between. We're really talking about fractions of of a of a second being a difference between a first round draft pick and an undrafted free agent. Facts. I mean, that makes it puts a whole lot of perspective on it, bro. Of course, with 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 that field, there came a lot of education, especially with your background. Um, so, in looking at that education and you reaching where you are professionally now. Um, how much of that was a requirement? Um, how much of that actually went into just you wanting to drive to be better at your 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 trade, your field? And how much of that was that entrepreneurial mindset of I'm going to use this to, to make something happen? Well, um, when I first started athletic training, you only needed a bachelor's degree to become a licensed and certified clinician. That has changed now 
the minimum you you have to have to be an athletic trainer is a master's degree. Everybody who has already got their bachelor's degree and their license and certification, they're already, they're grandfathered in. Okay. But for new people starting here on out, you're going to have to have a master's degree. So those folks kind of snuck in. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's, they changed, they, I mean, it's just a degree change and there's a lot of controversy surrounding that. Um, there's a lot of good things, pros and cons, fors and against. Um, but for me, the bachelor's degree was the requirement. That was okay. the minimum requirement. Definitely. Um, I really got the master's degree just because I was having fun in college and someone said, you can stay here two, two more years for free and, uh, and get another degree. I said, bet. And, um, but why not? Right. Why not? Who? And I had a, I had a son at the time, but, um, I, my family, what we didn't have really roots anywhere else, you okay. know? So it was a great opportunity. It was timing was right. The price was right. Free is in the budget. Mm-hmm. Right. Three ninety nine, bro. You can't go wrong uh, yeah, with that, bro. Yeah. Right. So uh I stayed there for that. Um I ended up pursuing a doctorate because I was stuck. I was at work one day like you're not getting better. You know? And I it is weird because you work your butt off to get to a place where things come easy to you. Mm-hmm. Right. You work your butt off to build a reputation so that people don't, you know, because people are going to challenge you. And it's always people who don't know jack about what you're supposed to do. <laughs> they don't know jack about your job description, what an athletic trainer is. You tell them you're an athletic trainer. They're like, oh, I need to lose weight. You're like, oh, yeah, you do need to lose weight, but that's not what I do here. Right. <laughs> but those are the ones who speak out the most, the, the, the loudest about when they think you mess up and they just have no idea what you're supposed to do. Right. Mm. And, but you build yourself to, so that your reputation perceives you so that people don't feel the need to challenge you. Right. Definitely. And I was, I was at work one day, like I can come in here with my eyes closed and do everything. Mm. And your students, you know, are just getting that they're getting what you know, they're getting who you know and, and all of those things. But, you, you, there's some things you can be doing better. You just don't know how yet. Yeah, and that drive that comes with being challenged. Yeah. And even the people who could challenge me didn't have the expertise to, to decide accurately how I responded to their challenges. Mm. You know, so it was just like you here existing. Like you just, you come to work and you, I, I like the job a lot. I love being an athletic trainer, but it's like, you just, you're just coming in and you, you, you're doing your thing and you're leaving and you, you're stuck. You're not getting better. You're not improving. Yeah. And so um, when I pursued the DAT is because I felt like there was something out there that I hadn't accomplished, that I hadn't learned. There were some techniques. There were some principles. There were some philosophies that I hadn't come into. And because I don't have it, my patients don't have that. Hmm. So I started pursuing that. Um but while I was there, I learned, you know, in that in that degree program, we had a couple of classes that were strictly uh, about leadership. Okay. So so not just fixing injuries, but how do you improve your position? How do you talk to your stakeholders? How do you get them to come up off of the money that you need mm. to 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 take care of the people that they hired you to take care of? How yeah. how do you get them to come up off of the money? to, to increase your paycheck, you know? So I learned a lot, not just about money, but really just about building a team, about getting people to respond to you and and having a a bunch of people coming from different angles, chasing the same goal 
how do you get them on the same page? Definitely. And so I learned a lot about those things and, uh, and that kind of turned me on to, so I've, I've always had, I want to say always, but over the last probably decade or decade and a half, I've had a, an entrepreneurial chip in me somewhere. That's just like, um, you with a job, you're only going to get what they give you. Facts. But, but when you're an entrepreneur, you decide how high your ceiling is, mm. right? You decide how much you get paid. And it's not just, it's not as simple as making the decision that I'm going to get more money today. You got to get <laughs> up and work for it. But like when you work for somebody else, it doesn't matter how hard you work. They decide how much you get paid. Mm. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you do it right, when you work harder, you get more bread, you get more freedom, you get more decision making um, authorities. And I've always liked that. And when I started hanging around entrepreneurs, my, my mind opened and I started trying to find new ways to insert that into my field. Like, how do you take what they're doing over here with their expertise in business and apply to athletic training? What are you doing that nobody else is doing? What can you bring to the table as an athletic trainer that nobody else has brought? Mm-hmm. So I started looking for ways to build my own lane. And yeah. um, so I'm working on some some pretty cool things that we can talk about a little later if you want. Yeah, for sure. We got nothing but time, right. bro. <laughs> Cool. There's no corporate entity over this, so we can run as long as we need to. <laughs> yeah, see, when you're in charge, you get to make the you make all the decisions, bro. It's like taking that yeah, pill yeah. in the matrix. Well, you woke if we, now. If, we, if you was working for somebody else, they'd be like, "All right, we gotta cut and go to commercial." Let's go, yeah, let's go pay some <laughs> of these bills. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, coming up on, you know, we touched on it a little bit. The South Side of Baltimore um, is definitely not an easy place to grow up. Um, right. And we know that, you know, sports and communities similar to, to the ones that we grew up in is always seen as a way out of that situation. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, the quote, the late, great Biggie Small, you either got to, you know, you slang a crack rock or you got a wicked you jump shot. You got a wicked jump shot. Yeah. And, you know, it, for us, it's, we know now, because hindsight is always twenty twenty that right. the odds were stacked. You know, we can go through the statistics, but it's no need to. Everyone realizes that the odds for a kid to come out and, and, you know, go to college and then go pro is it's so lopsided. Um, Is it possible to implement like an athletic training program at like that high school level or like that pop Warner Warner level um, where you can start developing people? Um, and if so, um, how could this help with a shift in our community mindset of, you know, I have to play sports to get out of here? Well, I think um, young people, especially, we do what people tell us to do when we're young. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that shift has to happen because some older, wiser people, preferably parents, but even coaches, um, we, as coaches, as, as role models, as authority figures to these young people, really have to start opening their eyes to some things. And the, the writing's always been on the wall. It's not something that's new. Um, it's not like it's not it's not like over the last few years the deck has been stacked. No, the deck has always been stacked. We've always been, you know, the the chances of of, of hey, just making it out of a neighborhood like the one I I, I made it out of. Definitely. Um, 
regardless of what you do, the chances are slim. And uh, so uh, one of the things I'm trying to do more is partner with some people who will provide services to these um, young and underserved uh, communities, these populations, these young uh, football players, basketball players, track athletes who are just trying to do something positive. Mm. So, um, but money is, is a big deal for these people. People want to be paid for their time. And even people who volunteer their time, uh, is your insurance. You have to have liability insurance. If you're, if you're a smart guy, you got liability insurance. So someone's going to try to sue you. You need somebody to back you. But, um, a lot of liability insurance companies won't cover you if you volunteer your time. Mm. So if you're working for free, they won't cover you. Um, so you have to be getting paid something. Wow. So, uh, and because a lot of these youth programs just don't have the extra money to pay, uh, a clinician, they just don't have any. So, um, I'm, I've been working with a group, uh, in Baltimore to try to get some things established for a few of the teams that some of my high school buddies actually coach okay. in and around Baltimore city. So, um, you get the kids get, you know, better care. And so they have more fun and they have a safer experience in, in athletics. And then that increases their chances of playing well in high school and playing well in college. Definitely. Um, albeit still not a lot. Um, they still need to have, you know, People always say sports is plan A and then education and scholarships and all of that stuff is plan B. I think that's a little backwards, if I'm just being honest. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> it because is. Less, than, <laughs> less than one-tenth of one percent of people who play high school sports will play in college at any level. Mm -hmm. And then we're only talking about the tiniest sliver of, of a fraction of those people who are going to get full rides. For sure. And even the people who get offered a full ride this year, there's no guarantee that they'll get that ride next year. So you hear space. a lot of, yeah, you hear a lot about people talking about you get a four-year scholarship. There's no such thing. Regardless of what anyone tells you, there's no such thing as a four-year scholarship. You get a one-year scholarship with the option to renew. And <laughs> the option isn't up to you. <laughs> right. That you're at least, at least an athlete with the option to buy you over the next four years. Right? So, and there's wow. the thing. If you, if you can't, if you get hurt, you can't stay healthy. They're going to replace you with somebody who can because money is on the line. And then that, so, that means that scholarship money has to roll over to someone else. Then. Yeah. So I think that mindset of athletics first and everything else second. So I read, I read a statistic and I don't know where I saw it, but it says for every dollar spent on athletic scholarship, 11 was spent on academic scholarship. So, I think the shift in mindset has to be that, hey, the, the days of the dumb athlete are over. Facts. Right? You, you'll hear stories of people in the 60s and 70s signing pro football contracts with an X because they didn't know how to write their name. Right? Now, your playbook is a textbook. And you have to know every page. So uh, things, are, things are changing. So um, – I, I, I love the, the idea of getting these athletes care because a lot of them don't have it. Definitely. And I didn't have it when I played youth sports and I, I only had a tiny bit of it when I played in high school. Okay. Right. So, um, I think it will go a long way to keeping kids safe, which is my primary goal. Um, with, with just getting, getting people at the fields so they don't have to pay an ambulance to sit there. 
Makes sense. Or, you know, in a city like Baltimore, the ambulance is busy. <laughs> so, you know, they don't have. Well, they might start out at your football game, but you best believe they're gonna get a know, call. Some, yeah, some stuff is gonna go down, and they're gonna get called away to, to take care of somebody. So, oh, um, that's a I sad that's fact, the, bro. It, but uh, yeah, it is. It is what it is. But we need to acknowledge it. We need to stop yeah. pretending that it's not. It's not happening. You know exactly. Exactly. So um, we see the long shots in sports and music mm-hmm. and acting. Mm-hmm. And we put all our eggs in those baskets, but those are long odds. Definitely. And you're grateful when they, when they pan out, but really, how often do they pan out? Everybody, everybody you've ever met knows a person personally who could have played in the NBA, mm. who could have played in the NFL. The guy who married me um, and my wife, that that pastor, okay, absolutely should have been in the NBA. Absolutely should have been in the NBA, but. It's hard to get in. It's crowded, and there's not that many seats. Hey, you know, so, <laughs> right? And you know, if the music stop playing and you're not close, you are gonna end up on the floor. You like you you out, <laughs> you out. So, um, I think we need to make that shift. Just uh, athletics is important. Let's keep the kids safe and healthy while they play. But your ticket out is is much more mental than it is your physical ability. If you look at just the draft process, you got to sit and have intellectual conversations with these team owners, and you know it's it's a lot of hoops to jump through. So yeah, you, yeah. you're definitely right. The days of the the the, the dumb athlete are behind us. <laughs> I mean, we we're already in the NCAA realm right now. So in 2018, the NCAA database reported that 56 percent of the men's D1 basketball and 48 percent of D1 football was black. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't include the percentage from amateur or you know, other amateur areas or professional sports. Um, in that same year, the National Athletic Trainers Association reported that nearly 79.89, almost 80% of athletic trainers were white or non-Hispanic, and 4.26% um, were black. Now, why, in your opinion, do you think there's such a disparity between the percentages. Uh, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you, bro. I I don't know. So nothing wrong. With there that. are there are to become an athletic trainer, you have to go to a uh, a college that offers an accredited program, mm. and you have to graduate from that accredited program. So that's part one. Okay. Part two is you have to pass a. Uh, a, a national board exam to be certified, hmm. right? So, are there not that many black people pursuing these college programs? That's question number one. Number two, are there not that many black people taking and passing the certification exam? And then number three is of the people who do pass the certification exam, are they what are they doing? That are they not staying in the profession? Uh. So those are the three. Are they are they going to the program? Are they passing and entering the profession? And are they staying in the profession? So there's a lot of statistical data out there about who is. Um, I mean, a lot of people when you when you put out these surveys, they don't even feel comfortable um, when you, when you ask. You know, you can ask a person what their race is on the survey, and they they prefer to not answer. They always check that box. I don't mm-hmm. say always, but a significant number of them will check that box. Yeah. 
So the 4.26% number may or may not be accurate. We don't, you know, there's a lot of people who don't check the box because they feel like this might be used against me if I check mm. that I'm black. Yeah. Or it might be used against me if I check that I'm a female mm. or, or whatever it might be. But the eye test certainly doesn't lie. For example, <laughs> I'm the only I'm the only black athletic trainer in my entire county uh, at my entire school division. Wow. Right. So um, sometimes it's like that. Uh, there are school divisions that don't have any. Or you can go to some historically black colleges and look at their athletics programs and they don't have and it's, at HBCU there are several that don't have a single black athletic trainer wow. which you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> um, it, it, is, it is surprising for, for people who you know don't have a lot of ins and outs as far as knowledge of you know knowledge of, of athletic training and what colleges are offering and a lot of that's a whole different talk show mm. But um, <laughs> one of the and what I'm actually working on, I'm hoping that I can do my dissertation on for this next uh, doctorate. Is so there's only one historically black college in the entire country that students can go to and study athletic training in the accredited program, and that is Bethune Cookman. Of and, all um, the HBCUs, the only one. Yep. Shout out to Torrance Williams, who's down there at Bethune Cookman, doing it right. Um, but. By the same token, you can go to these same you can go to these HBCUs, and they have a lot what we call student volunteers. Mm. So they come in after their classes for free, and they work with the protein or with the, with the sports teams. They work with the basketball team. They work with the football team, help, helping to get the athletes ready, helping to get the Gatorade and water ready. Um, they learn a few things: how to tape ankles, how to massage things, and things like that. So that says to me that there is a definite interest by these students in athletic training. No one is showing them the path, hmm. right? So why can't we figure out how to get more of these programs at our historically black institutions? So I think that's number one, um, is that we have to figure out a way. And that won't solve the problem, you know? We need all yeah. the mitigation we can get. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like the you know the the pandemic thing, right? Masks don't solve the problem, but they're one step that helps. Social distancing doesn't solve a problem, but it's one step that helps. Exactly. You pile up all of these these different steps that help, and before you know it, you have more people finding a pathway, right? Mm. So we have to figure out how to get um, if we can't get these programs at our historically black institutions, can we build partnerships? between our historically black institutions and these universities that are offering athletic training as a major. So we can get more path people, you know, funneled from one place to the other. Exactly. So um, that's something that I'm working on actually with, with a very, very uh, closely respected colleague of mine uh, named Colin Francis. Uh, he's an assistant athletic trainer for the Baltimore Ravens. Shout out to Colin Francis, um, who's doing, you know, a lot of the, the back work on this thing. But, um, so there's another stat out there that, so for this, the board certification exam, it's hard. And uh, you have to have a 70% pass rate, first time pass rate for your program to stay accredited. So oh, if wow. you are, if you are for our university and you offer athletic training and you have 10 people take the certification exam this year, if seven of those 10 don't pass on the first try, your program gets put on probation, and that's 
that becomes something you got to fix. So essentially uh, that's uh, like a a gatekeeping type situation too, where it is, you can have a, a, you know, I wonder what that stat is where a school has had an accreditation and couldn't get the pass rate and lost their accreditation. There's a few out there. There's a few, there's quite a few. Um, but, uh, historically, uh, black test takers for that particular test do, you know, uh, significantly worse than the white counterparts. Definitely. And so we're trying to find out why. Okay. We're trying to find out why a lot of it, cause we get, they get the same education. They go to the same schools. Yeah. They're in the same programs, but the, the black students don't traditionally do as well as the white students. They have a much higher first time failure rate than the white students. Um, so, and there's even some kind of talk, and I don't know if anyone studied this or, or run statistics on it, but there's some kind of uh, th- there's some kind of speculation that because black students traditionally don't do as well on that test, and having people not do well on that test can hurt your program, that might lead some programs to not let as many black students in. Hmm. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I've heard some people speculating. Okay. Um, but we have to figure out how to support minority students while they're they're challenging this. It's called the BOC exam. Okay. We have to figure out how to support black students there, and then once they become professionals, a lot of them end up places where they're the only. So I'm the only diversity in my entire my entire school division for athletic training. I happen to have the highest uh, degree out of everybody else in the in the program. Hey, you out there rapping, bro? <laughs> right. Um, but there's some trepidation to that, though. Okay. Right? When, when they ask me uh, questions, I give them answers based on the best knowledge that I have available, the best evidence that I, I can find. And it doesn't always, it's not always congruent with their ideas. And when I speak out and I say, no, that's wrong, uh, a lot of people might agree with me. Some of my my uh, cohorts might agree with me. My um my my colleagues, but they don't speak out. Uh-huh. So, uh, and I reckon, I know what time it is, right? Yeah. I'm 6'2". I'm 290 pounds. <laughs> I got long dreads down in my butt, right? I got a South Baltimore accent that come out sometimes when I get a little fiery. <laughs> I don't always get fiery. And I talk loud. Yeah. You know, and really, the and energy. People <laughs> it's, it's not even that, Bobby. You know why I talk loud? Here's why I, t- I talk loud because I have a hearing deficit, ah. and so like I'm I'm part I'm going I might be going deaf I don't know, but um because I'm, I I don't people talk loud you can't hear yourself yeah right it's like talking right. with headphones on right that's why you need a monitor right Fast. so like turn me up in the headphones but I don't <laughs> have my headphones when I'm in the, when I'm in the boardroom right I just like. So when I'm talking, I'm like, no, that's wrong. This is why we need to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to have people falling through these cracks. And I look aggressive, mm. right? People see that as aggressive. They fear it. And then because I'm the only one speaking up, I look like this angry black dude in a meeting full of non-black people. Mm. And so there's a lot of credibility that, that people just automatically take away from, based from me. Perspective based and perception. That, right? Wow. So... I'm not supported in my job. The blessing that I, I, the reason I'm blessed though is because 
I'm hard-headed. I don't need nobody's support. I know I'm sharp, right? Mm-hmm. I know what I've studied. I know what I've been through. I know what the data says because I looked at it, and I had to master this data so that I could get these degrees. Definitely. Right? So I don't need anybody to validate me, but not everybody's me, right? So people aren't supported. They don't, they feel left out. They don't feel like, like there's a whole, so we talk about, so like a year ago, George Floyd was murdered, right? We just use it as an example. Um, He was murdered. We watched it happen. And it was on, it was on every social media platform. It was on every channel. Right. And we've seen the video. And I had to go to work with that in my mind, in my heart, thinking about it, how terrible it was to watch that. And it affected me. But I didn't have anybody in my job site that I could talk to about it. There was nobody who could relate to what that must be like. There's nobody I'm working with who is raising black sons. Who has to worry about when they go out? So my oldest is getting ready to start driving, right? We talking about so Prince William County, he, yeah, Virginia, yeah, which is common law. I mean, right? And you know that's not far from Stafford and Fredericksburg, which is you know even more. Right. I should say I should say less receptive if we if we're being yeah. politically correct. There you go. But so and he has a stutter. He's a straight A student. He's an honor student. Um, National Society of High School Scholars. He does everything right, but he's six feet. He's 260 pounds. He got a scraggly beard, and he's socially awkward, right? Yeah. So when he gets pulled over, they're not going to see an honor student. Nope. You know, and I have to worry about that. Even the but even the no- social awkwardness and the stutter it can easily right. be to 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 them. I, I hate to say them as in, but to a to a to to an extent, they would see that as oh, was he nervous about? Right. And it's like, bro, this is just who I am. Right. Right. It's just who he is. he's a great. And if you talk to anybody, one hundred percent of the people who know him will tell you that he's an incredible kid. Yeah. You know. So, and I'm that's not me. You know, he, he get it from his mama. She awesome. <laughs> you know. But um. So when I go to work, I, if I mention that to people, they think I'm I'm paranoid, yeah. you know. And it's, so there's nobody who's walked in my shoes at my job, and there's so many other black athletic trainers who are the, the they're they're alone at work, even though they're surrounded by people. Yeah. You no. Know? So a lot of them, not a lot of them, but some choose to not stay. They like I can't deal with this. Yeah. You know. So we all we have to figure out how even though they may not have other people working directly with and with them in their clinics or at their sites. We got to figure out also how, once they get in, how do we have them, how do we get them into the network so that we can care for each other? So we can uplift each other. So we can support each other. So we can celebrate each other. Definitely. So we can educate each other. Um, because a lot of, a lot of the things people get is not because they know something that other people don't know. It's because they know people that they, that other people don't know. Right. They, there's a network. Yeah. And one of the things I'm learning that I learned through entrepreneurship is that people have in general, people have a desire to help other people that they know. Yeah. Right. 
And everybody, if you've ever had a friend who worked at McDonald's, and it don't even have to be your friend. If you ever knew somebody who worked in fast food and you walk up and they see you in, in the dining room and you walk up to their cash register and you order your meal, just because they know you, they'll throw some extra chicken nuggets in your box. Right? Sure. <laughs> they don't, you don't even have to ask for it. Yeah. Like, Bobby, I hooked you up. You know, I, got, I, got you, I got you the two pieces of exactly. cheese. Exactly. Right? <laughs> the two pieces of cheese. Look <laughs> it up. So I mean, we just like, but even if you're not friends, you like the you like to look out for people. Yeah, that you know. but that's the that's and that so, community aspect that that mentorship, like you know, and and nowadays it's kind of viewed as somebody trying to you know little homie you like you know big bro you like, but what it really is is let me let me reach back and help you get to where you need to be. So it's definitely that's another mindset shift that that has to occur. Yeah, yeah, we get where we are. Like I'm tall because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Bingo. You know what I'm saying I'm. Bingo. I don't. All of the things that I do, I put a lot of work in the in the where I am and who I am. But really, uh, I I get a lot of uplift from my mentors, mm-hmm. and I learn from them. I, I take what they did and try to take it a step further. I'm not reinventing nothing, yeah. but now it's my turn to be the shoulder. Exactly. You know? So exactly. that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, so taking things a step further and outside of slightly outside of that room, um, with, entre- with athletic training, do you feel that there are, um, like entrepreneurial opportunities that need to be explored, um, especially when it comes to black athletic trainers. I think with everything that is entrepreneurial, uh, we we need to figure out how to create our own lanes. Hmm. And that's not just with black athletic trainers, but it, I think that's something we should take advantage of as black athletic trainers. Um, sure. Because again, when you work for somebody else, they decide when you show up, they decide when you get, if you get vacation, they decide mm-hmm. when you have to take your vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, they, so um, what can you do to create, uh, do what you love to do and create a level of freedom within it to make the decisions to spend what you want to spend and go where you want to go and work for and with who you want to work for and with. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love about athletic trainers in general, but uh, it's just really everybody, but, there's a level of creativity inside you. We all have, you know, everybody has a million dollar idea that they just either too lazy or too afraid to act on. <laughs> and so what you do is you, you put yourself, there's a saying, there's a saying, uh, if you are too afraid to build your own dreams, somebody will gladly pay you to build to this. Build this. <laughs> Facts. And so, we we have that we we have the capacity to do it you know Definitely. so there are there's things you can work as a consultant one of the things that i've done with myself i've i've curated myself very carefully with my continued education with my experience and work so when you look at my resume and you look at my cv you'll see there's not a whole lot in our field that i have not done okay you know so they say People say you're a jack of all trades and master of none. That's BS. I'm mastering everything. <laughs> right. 
I'm Let's triple double. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just going to score a lot of points. I'm going to get you a lot of rebounds. I'm going to get you a lot of steals. You know, I'm. A, I'm. A do, I want to be good. I want to be really, really good at everything. You out here like you know, Brody? Just, <laughs> like I'm, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and and people, there's some people who feel a certain way about that. Why you got all these certifications? You know, that's you don't need all these certifications. No, you don't need all these certifications. I'm I'm doing this for me, you know. Mm. So if I ever have the opportunity, and this is something I'm also building in myself, I'm trying to serve as a consultant so that when these HBCUs get up and say, you know what, we send a lot of these students away to get their master's degrees in athletic training when they could be coming here. They could be coming back mm. to get their, their athletic training degrees here. We need somebody who knows how to build a program from scratch. Bingo, I'm your guy. We need somebody who knows how to instruct these classes. Bingo, I'm your guy. We need somebody who could tell us who to hire to 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 do this or what equipment we need to do that. Ding, ding, or how ding, much it's going to cost. I know I'm Walmart. You can you can come to my store and get everything you need. And that's where that's when I said this to um, to Donita when we were when we were babies in athletic training. We were still students. I said, wouldn't it be dope if we could put something together? where you can get everything you need from from one place right so you go to walmart you can depending on what time of year you can get your taxes done you can buy some tires you can get some fingernail polish you can get a grill you can you know you can go grocery shopping and all in the same building so there are people who are doing a couple things that people who are doing one thing especially well there's not a lot of people who are who, who are wide ranging in what they do uh, or at least willing to spread themselves thin enough to, to to work in all of those capacities at the same time. But I am. And mm. um, it's going to be hard when it happens. But I think for the people coming behind me, it's going to be worth it. The ends justify the means. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Man. <laughs> all, those, all those degrees, like... It, I don't think I've ever asked you about the reasoning behind it. So to hear that and to see, like, like I said, the journey and where you are and what you went through to get there and knowing now the purpose behind it is yeah, mind blowing. But you, but you know what? There's a little bit that I left out with that too. A part of it is I hate being told no. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I apply for jobs, and, you know, when I interview for a job, I have a pretty good shot. But there were times where I wouldn't even get an interview and people would say, oh, we're looking for people with this experience. We're looking for people with that degree. Mm. And so a lot of the stuff is me just taking away people's excuses not to hire me. Definitely. And, um, so, and I get it. Like I said, um, I said earlier, I'm a big black dude, you know, and sometimes my facial expression my regular facial expression looks kind of intimidating. It looks, and look, I look angry, and I promise I don't mean to be angry. People who know me know I'm the biggest goofball <laughs> ever. I love a, a dumb joke. I love to laugh, but my regular face just people people think I'm mad. Mm. So believe it or not, like when I do Zoom interviews, when I'm talking to people, I literally remind myself every few minutes to just smile. You have the Wayne Brady so that, effect. Yeah, just so that people like will know like he's not trying to kill us. You know, no, it's just, that's just my face. I'm ugly. I can't help it. It's how I was born, you know, but, um, 
I just want to take the edge off, so I smile a little bit. But nah. uh, even pursuing a PhD, right? So I had one doctorate, and when I was going after jobs, and I wasn't getting interviews, I asked people like, "What is it about me that I could do to make myself a better candidate?" Oh, you have this doctorate, which is a clinical degree, and that's nice, but we're looking for somebody with a PhD. Mm. Oh, word. Well, then let we'll, me go we'll get, get one. A PhD, <laughs> and I holler back at you. So, um. And yeah, and that's what it is. And plus, you know, I had opportunity to do that for free as a as an adjunct. There so. it is. Free 99, man. Yet again, it strikes. Yeah, it's it in a budget. Again. It strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> so what did, you, what did you wish you knew, like, starting out in your athletic training career? I wish I knew that I was worth it. Mm. I wish I knew back then, like, I didn't, I, I, I thought so little of myself, hmm. right? And I was seeing these giants around me. That's why. I was yeah. seeing all of these people doing these incredible things, and they've been in athletic training for so long. And I was, I was, I was intimidated by the moment, by the opportunity. Hmm. So because I thought people wouldn't accept me, I didn't even ask. Rather than risk being told no, I was trying to save myself the shame of of uh, people telling me no. Like, I'm not going to get it, so I'm not going to ask. Mm. But the answer is always no when you don't ask, right? You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Mm. And I didn't take a lot of shots just because I didn't think people would have me. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I was worthy. I, I didn't think... I was acceptable. I didn't, I didn't think I belong. And, um, there were people around me who thought more of me than I thought of myself. Wow. And so I wish I had the guts back then to believe in myself. I wish I had the audacity to, to dream big and to reach big. And, um, so there were people around me also who told me that I was, you know, they didn't think very much of me. And there were also people who encouraged me to not try things because they wanted to protect me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there are people who will look at your situation and subconsciously they will insert themselves into your situation and they think that they would fail in that situation. So they think because they'll fail, you'll fail too. So they're like, don't try that, man. It ain't going to work. And they project their doubt. Uh, (laughs) Right. People project their doubts on you, and um, they don't always do it with malicious intent. Sometimes they do. But um, either way, the result is the same for you. You end up not trying. You end up not succeeding. So I wish I wasn't as afraid to fail back then. Um, Facts. I just, just, if I I was less afraid to fail, I would have tried more things. Mm -hmm. And I would have failed a lot. But um, the people who fail the most also succeed the most. That's what I say. They learn a you lot. Know, the people who, yeah, the people who get told no the most also get told yes the most. That's because they ask, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says we we have, have not, not because we, we ask, ask not. not. Yeah. Right. So ask the question. If they tell you no, you're in the same place that you're already in. You're not in the worst spot. Yep. But if they tell you yes, you have the opportunity to improve yourself in your position. Exactly. So exactly. I, I just wish I had more guts back then. For sure. For sure. So, um, how do you, how do you balance? Like, you got a lot of coals in the fire. 
<laughs> so how how do you balance um, all of your professional responsibilities with being probably one of the dopest family men I know? Oh man, that means a lot. Uh, I'll be upfront and say that it's not me that does the balancing. It's my wife, right? <laughs> sure. Um, I she without her, there's none of this. Period. Right. For sure. So when I come home and I'm in class, I mean, I work full time. So I go to work like tonight we had soccer. Uh, rained a little bit. So we had some delays and some stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of nights where I won't get home before 11 o'clock. Mm. And I got assignments due at midnight. And so I, or I, I have assignments due in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that much time to work on them. So I work on them when I get home. So I come home from work. I'm a good dad for like 10, 15 minutes. The kids go to bed. And, um, you know, my wife is patient with me. You know, she lets me get on the computer. I do my thing. She goes to sleep. I'm up till 3, 4 in the morning sometimes just homeworking. Yeah. And I go to bed. I crash really, really hard. I snore really, really loud. She wakes up in the morning, gets the kids ready for school. Then she gets ready for work. She let me sleep in. And so really it's because she's my support system and it's super dope to have somebody who who doesn't love the process but believes in me enough to, and knows that it's temporary so she'll ride it with me, you know? Right. Nothing like but it. But to that, that same token, I had to cut off a lot of other things that were taken away from my... Not taken away, they just would take up time. Mm-hmm. And I had to move them off my plate so that when I do have an opportunity to take the kids out, Go fishing. Go for a walk. Yeah. I play video games. I just talk to them about life, about girls, about school. So it's not being taken by that other stuff. I used to work a lot of additional jobs and, you know, per diem stuff. And mm-hmm. Now I don't do those things because my priorities are different. Yeah. And, you know, not having the extra $200 a weekend sucks, but I get to spend that time, you know, raising my kids. Yeah, the opportunity so, cost is better. Right. So... There's that. And then there's a level of don't don't draw things out longer than they have to be. Okay. So this doctorate that I'm working on now, for example, um, we got sent home last March, March 13th, for, for the pandemic. For, for the Panda Express. Right. <laughs> for the panorama. <laughs> and um, we didn't know how long we were going to be home. Hmm. So I said, here's this degree you were looking at. Now is a great time to start it. Let's see how much of it you can get done before they send you back to work. So I doubled and tripled up on classes and I started in May. And right now I got one more class before my dissertation. I just was desperate. Like I just two classes at a time, three classes at a time. You're going to run through these things as much as you can to get them done so that it's over with. Yeah. And after it's over with, you don't, you know, now that entire time is free. So you don't, you're not talking about six or seven years to do a PhD. We're talking about a year and a half or two years to get your classes done. And then you work on your, um, actually it won't even be a year. It'll just be a year when I finish this last class Definitely. and then your dissertation. Yeah. And so, so it's really how hard, how hard do you want to run? And the kids are great also. They understand that I'm in school. They understand when I'm tired sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, they eat Probably my the beauty of the breakfast. boys being a little bit older. It is. 
It is. And uh, another thing that I love about it is they get to see me grinding. So when I tell them you have to work hard on your schoolwork, mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not somebody who's telling them that, that, that they've never seen it before. They, exactly. They're watching me do it. Exactly. So it's like, look, I'm not different from you. I'm not special. I'm just willing to work hard. So if you're willing to work hard, you can get it done too. Straight church tabernacle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we all we all reach like you just ran it down. You ran down so many things there, um, in dealing with the work and with family and um, side jobs. And with that being said, we all reach a juncture where our batteries are totally depleted. And we just need to kind of step away. Um, do you have like a mantra or a scripture or an activity that you do when you need, you know, when Dr. Holland needs to reset? What does he do? So I'm blessed in my job uh, to have summers off. So that's really helpful. Mm. So I remind myself, A, it's at the end of May, it'll be over. Right, you have a break. Somebody break their leg. <laughs> June first is going to stay broke. So July thirty fourth, when we we get back, it's going to. So don't call me. Don't you know? And I get to spend my summers, you know, uh, just not even thinking about work. Definitely, which is great. Definitely. But there's sometimes during the school year, it was like, you know what, man, this like this year, this year, this this COVID year, mm-hmm. um, we had to do so many new and different things, and so much of it is asinine, and so much of it ends up being duties that fall on my plate that shouldn't Mm. fall on my plate. And nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. But because I'm the front man for a lot of it, I get cussed out a lot and it wears on you. Like, like, you know what? I don't need this job as much as you need to call me an MF right now. So I'd be a shade away from telling some people where they can go and what they can do when they get there. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I take, I take a mental day here and there mm-hmm. and I got personal leave. I don't need to tell anybody why I'm taking leave. Like, look, I'm not going to be in Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Oh, why not? Cause I'm minding my business to leave yours alone. <laughs> get it, get it figured out. We got a game like that's unfortunate. It so, happens. <laughs> Tragedy. Um, so we have, we, we spend so much time, especially athletic trainers because our, our goal is to take care of people. Mm-hmm. Right. That's in your nature. And most, Right. We help. We, our goal is to help people. That's 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 the, who we are, not just what we do. It's just who we are, and a lot of us are the only people at our job sites who do what we do. Right? I work in a school system, so if an English teacher's not there, other English teachers can pick up the slack. Right? Definitely. If a guidance counselor gets sick and has to miss work, there are other guidance counselors who can pick up that caseload. Mm-hmm. You have multiple assistant principals. Even on teams, you have a head coach and you have multiple assistant coaches, Yeah. right? There's only one athletic trainer in the building. So when he's not there or she's not there, who's taking care of the athletes? You're looking at a single point failure. Right. So we go to work when we're tired, when we're fatigued, when we're sick, when we're mentally not there. We go to work. We have a death in the family. Go to the funeral on Tuesday. Wednesday morning at six o'clock, we we putting our keys in the door, going back in the building, hmm. and nobody checks on us. Nobody, they it's just like something that they expect, Definitely. you know. They they don't thank you. They don't always recognize you. They don't always support you, and it, it'll wear you out. So 
when you have leave, my suggestion to people is don't be afraid to take it. It's yours. Okay. And mm-hmm. so we remind yourself that you are working yourself to death for people who probably won't come to your funeral. Yeah. No. So you got to do what's um, best for you because they're going to do what's best yeah, for them. You got to take, you have to, we know what to do to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We know what to do. We just don't. We put ourselves on the back burner because it's in our nature to take care of everybody else. The other people's needs come before your own, but it is okay to put your needs first. Sometimes put yeah. the needs of your family first. Sometimes yeah. if you see that, you know, your kids are missing you, take a, take a day off and go, go eat lunch with them at school yeah. or take a day off and take your kids day off. Yeah, <laughs> everybody get, get a cream. mental day today. Yeah. Um, Treat your wife to something nice. Go get her some flowers. Mm-hmm. Rub her feet. You know, take a day off. I don't want you to lift a finger today. And you, instead of serving people at work, you're serving your family at home. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, and just take t- Do something for you. Buy, buy yourself some shoes. Get yourself that watch you had your eye on. Mm-hmm. Or that grill you was looking at. I like watches and grills. That's why I talk about <laughs> watches and grills. But um, we know what makes us feel good. But we just don't do it because we're afraid of disappointing people. No. So as long as you are afraid to disappoint people, you will always predispose yourself to disappoint yourself. Definitely. So definitely. Don't be afraid to just do it. I'm gonna do me today. And yeah. re- whoever like it, they can't they, they don't have to like it. They can't fire me. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. as long as you as long as you <laughs> fill out your paperwork for your leave. You're on point. So, because <laughs> um, a lot of it, a lot of it is um like your job, you can't put yourself first. Yeah. Because there's a there's a there's a duty that has to be accomplished. There's something that has to be done, and your needs don't come before that that goal. But you can take a step away from your job for a day, for a couple of days, for a week. Hmm. And there, <laughs> I was hey. talking to a custodian at, at my school, and um. They told him he had all these vacation days. If he didn't use them by a certain time, they were going to take them away from him. <laughs> like, bro, how long have you been sitting on these vacation days? A really long time. I'd take a sabbatical. <laughs> right. Like, you had to go on that cruise and they're going to pay you to not be here? Get out of here. Somebody else can mop. <laughs> and if they don't mop the floor, be dirty when you get back. It's not going nowhere. <laughs> Yeah. Dress and believe. They After schools look horrible anyway with the custodian team there. Just go ahead and leave, and, bro. And, and here's another thing, too. If you are at a place where your job, your job, you're the only person who does what you do, and you've been asking for help, and oh, you, you take your time away from the school, and things fall apart, they'll see that they need to get you some help. Yep. Well, right? Let me do it. Part of the reason they don't get us long. help at, yeah. It's like if they don't get us help because we're always there. Like let a, let everybody decide to take a Friday off during football season, and and then let them play football and all these people get their legs and arms broke and get knocked out. They'd be like, dude, nobody's here. We need you know we need athletic trainers here. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, but they don't they don't do that because we're always there. We're there every day, you know. And we, nobody we, misses the superhero till they don't show up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When the Avengers ain't there, like, man, these guys burning down the city, man. I don't know what to do with Captain America. Where's, <laughs> where's Iron Man? Where's Hulk? Oh, we on vacation. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Oh, man. So, top that podcast. As yeah. a podcaster, just, I mean, I, because this is a podcast, it's like, oh, it's a taboo to promote another podcast on your podcast. Man, we oh, breaking no, all the rules, up, bro. We breaking all the rules. I, I, I big up all of the podcasts <laughs> that I love on my podcast. <laughs> Tell the people about your show, about your co-host, Dr. Donita Valentine, and just the goal of your platform. So Top Dat Podcast is so that D-A-T is an acronym acronym that stands for Doctor of Athletic Training. So we're the top D-A-T podcast. And I have a Doctor of Athletic Training degree. My co-host, Donita Valentine, who introduced me to athletic training, also has the same degree. So we're both sitting, as far as education, we're sitting at the top. Um, she has a wealth of experience. She worked in D.C. public schools for a long, long time. She's seen things at her school division that she's treated as a clinician that people will, as athletic trainers would will never see, right? I'm talking about, <laughs> I mean, you listen to one of the episodes. Bro. <laughs> we, bro, we had an episode where we had, I said, what, what is there a time where you had to use your athletic training know-how to treat somebody who wasn't an athlete? And she ran down a story where she was at school when the person next to her car got shot three times. And that's in one of the episodes if, if people want to find it. So we've seen and done a lot now. Definitely. Right? We're not old. We're like 15 years in. Uh, but we wanted to talk about things in the profession that nobody's talking about. Okay. And we wanted to make it fun. So a lot of things that we went through as, as professionals, nobody really prepared us for when we were students. So... Isn't that oh, man, always the case, man? About... Jesus. Yeah. I wish somebody told me about this when I was learning this stuff. Well, life is and a cruel so... teacher, bro. You get the test and then you get the lesson, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were like, you know what? Let's let's do a podcast where we can talk about what we want to talk about. We can have experts on to talk about what they want to talk about. And let's just get this information and this knowledge to these people and then let's make it fun. So it's not formal. We on there cracking jokes. We don't use proper grammar. You know, we everything you don't expect about, from a doctor. Right. And then it's not just for athletic trainers. We have people on there talking about your finances and where you should put your money. How do you get into the stock market? Hmm. We have people on there talking about how do you deal with bullying at, at your job? That's not something that's specific to athletic training. There's a lot of places where people bully other people at work or people mm -hmm. get bullied at work. No. Um, so we're going to have a mental health consultant on there. We're going to have a tax professional on there. Um, so we, we might talk about it from a spin of athletic training cause that's what we are. That's what we know. Yeah. But you can take the, the, the content there and apply it to almost everything. And that's yeah. kind of what we wanted to do. And we, we're both goofball. She is hilarious. It's <laughs> um, a dope show. We've known each other. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, we've known each other since like 99, 2000. Somewhere around there. Cash money. And she's over always been nine, one of the nine. funniest people. Yeah, <laughs> back when cash money was taking over. <laughs> so uh, we just we just get on there. We veg out, man. We had a, a, a young person who uh, who just became an athletic trainer talking about what it's like to be a new athletic trainer in the, in a pandemic. We had uh, somebody talking about what you can do 
to to help help yourself if you're a student trying to study virtually because that's something that's new to a lot of people now. Yeah. If you're a professor, what you could do to reach your students more on a virtual realm. Um, we just a lot of and we just get on there, man. We veg out. We have a good time. We talk about what's going on in, in the field. We talk about what we've been through. Yeah. And then we I crack my dad jokes on there and uh <laughs> I laugh at myself because I'm funny. Hey. I got a laugh track and people don't laugh at me. I just push a button and I have my own laugh track, so I'm good. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta be able to entertain yourself, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can dig it. So is there anything that Dr. Holland has in the works or any programs that are upcoming that um, for people who are interested in athletic training or wanting to know more about athletic training, um, anything that the people should know about that you could fill them in on? Yeah. So the District of Columbia Athletic Trainers Association, also known as the DCATA, has invited me to speak and do a presentation on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So well, exactly what we were talking about earlier about the, the disparity in, in numbers and ethnic diversity in the field. I get to talk about it uh, from my perspective and uh, sure. and we get to address some things. And I'm doing that also with the, the Maryland Athletic Trainers Association. Right. Or, or the, not Maryland, but the Mid-Atlantic Athletic Trainers Association, M-A-A-T-A. Okay. Um, so there's those two things, those speaking engagements. I also got to... Um, speak on um on a panel but uh, hosted by mrs robin winder who was one of my mentors at frostburg state her and her, her husband two of the most incredible people you'll ever meet uh mm. rest in peace bernie yeah. winder god bless her dad. It was also my um my fraternity advisor great guy yeah. um but now she teaches a um the african-american studies but yeah. she has an orientation class also and the black students up at frostburg state people aren't familiar uh, the city of Frostburg, the town, that area in Western Maryland is not <laughs> very uh, accepting of diversity. Yeah. And so the young black students on campus now are experiencing some things that uh, we experienced when we were there. Yeah. And, and for some uh, of them, it's probably the first back. time. Yeah, it is. For a lot of them, yes. And so they're like, wow, this still happens in Maryland yeah. in, in, in 2021? Yes. And so she brought back some some uh, alumni who who've been through it and now going on to do some great things to talk uh, up to them about it. So I got to do that. Uh, I received the Tony Zaloga Athletic Training Award from Frostburg State University's uh, Department of Kinesiology, which was incredible. Congratulations, um, Tony Zaloga is my head athletic trainer. He was my mentor. He retired recently, um, but now to have an award with his name on it just really makes me tingle, man. It's, it's a Damn. great feeling. That was the man that um, told me my ACL was torn. Oh yeah, he, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Doctor Z. Yep, great. <laughs> so I got to get him on my podcast, man. He is a, he is cool as a fan. His his tone never changes. It don't matter what the situation is. He could be <laughs> he could, he could win the lottery, or the builder could be on fire, or he could be making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You would never know the difference. Yeah, he is like a an old seasoned war veteran. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, let me tell you so, about this time. That... Yeah. So a couple more things I'm working on. My dissertation is going to be on um, helping um, helping administrators at historically black universities uh, understand the barriers that are preventing them from offering athletic training programs at their, at their schools. 
And then um, I'm also working with uh, Colin Francis in the Baltimore Area Sport Health Initiative to establish pipelines between historically black colleges and universities and other universities that are offering athletic training at, uh, for a master's degree. Definitely. So we're, we're trying to help them build agreements that if students at these, these undergrad programs and, and historically black colleges and universities can meet the minimum requirements for entry for your program, what would you be willing to do to get them there? Would you, would you guarantee them admission? Would you waive the application process or the application fee or like, so we're basically trying to establish agreements between these universities and um, so far everybody's excited about it and I'm excited about it, but it does take a long time at the university level for somebody to make a decision. So all of the people who would be directly affected, they're, they're on board, but you, you know, you got to get the people at the top of the food Mm -hmm. chain. To, to say that this is a good idea. Exactly. So we're just, we're pushing those and we got a couple of deals working right now. We got a couple more cooking that we hope to get up and running soon. So, um, so that's that, man. Definitely. Definitely. Again, this man has a lot of coals in the fire and the craziest part about it is most, if not all of the things that you listed out don't, directly pertain to your benefit like what you're doing is and this is why i said advocacy at the beginning because what you're doing just like you said goes into that how can i help like it's how can how can we make this happen so i definitely applaud um what you're doing your initiatives the hustle the grind that entrepreneurial mindset to leave this ball of everything that we call earth better than it was given to you. Right. Um, <laughs> if you could Marty right. McFly to tell a younger you something, what would that message be? Go hard or go harder. Mm. Right? Mm. We say go hard or go home. They expound. Um, but but <laughs> when you when you give somebody the option to go home and it get really hard, they go home. Taking so, my ball. Yeah, just if you fail like don't be afraid to fail. I would tell myself that and then fail a lot because, you know, even when you fail a lot, that means you're doing a lot. When you do a lot, you find some success in there somewhere. Hmm. So just, just go hard as hard as you can. And every time you think you're going hard as you can reevaluate and see where you didn't go as hard as you probably could have. Hmm. The world is out there and they say good things come to those who wait. Right. Mm-hmm. But, the only thing that's coming to people who wait is the stuff that's left over by the people who didn't. Mm. So go out there and get wow. it. Profound words from a profound man. I mean, let's let the people know how they can get in touch with Dr. Holland. If anyone's interested in uh, the field of athletic training, learning more about athletic training, um, let them know where they can listen to top that podcast, show your platform, oh, your show right now. Close this out. All right. So um, if you want to find me, it's uh, probably easiest to find me on Facebook by name, uh, Brandon Holland. Uh, but the, the Top Dat podcast is on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter at, at the underscore top underscore DAT. On uh, LinkedIn at top dash DAT and number one, that's top dash dat one. Or you can text uh, the word top DAT, all one word. To five five four six nine. Top that to five five four six nine, and it'll send everything directly to your phone. 
you can listen to the podcast anywhere where you listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're, we're on Pandora. Uh, we're, we're everywhere. So um, you can find us there. You can email us at uh, top underscore DAT at Outlook.com. You can find me on Twitter at Uncommon Sense. That's sense, t- uh, C-E-N-T-S, and the number three, Uncommon Sense. Um, you can find me on my personal Instagram is Oxygen Doc. If you leave a message, we'll get back to you. Um, our goal is to give you what you want, especially in the podcast. We don't want it to be our podcast. We want it to be yours. Mm. We're always looking for ideas. And if you're looking to get into athletic training, we want to help you do that. If you have questions about how to get an athletic trainer at your site, we want to help you do that. Um, if you're looking for resources, we want to help you find them. And um, we really just want to make connections. Definitely. Definitely. Well, time is the great equalizer. And no yep. matter what your economic background, no matter where you come from, your race, we're all relegated to the same 24 hours. And it's all about what you do in that 24 hours. I appreciate Word. you sharing a portion of your 24 hours um, the listeners spending a portion of their 24 hours. Um, greatly appreciate it. A lot of information, a lot of ism dropped. Um, I just want to say thank you. You the man, man. I appreciate you inviting me to be on your, your joint. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing this playback. And, and also to seeing the other cool guests you got on, man. I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> that makes two of us, bro. Doors opening. This episode of Elevator Pitch is in the books. I'm headed to the garage, but take the ride with us next week as we chop it up with another entrepreneurial-minded guest. Please subscribe, comment, leave feedback, because we are streaming where you're listening. Follow us on Instagram at elevatorpitch underscore media. If you have music, original music, Hit us up in the DM, shoot us an email, we'll get you featured on the show. All of my contact information, as well as the contact information of my guests, can be found in the show notes. And with that being said, eight letters, three words, one meaning. I'm out. Doors closing. Going down.